China's long arm trying to recruit spies on American soil, but a double agent spoils the plan, leaving Chinese nationals charged for the attempt. A Chinese police station in New York, NTD visits the building undercover. Protest is persisting in China, activists testing out new ways to speak out, out of view of security cameras. Legislators from three countries visiting Taiwan, topics on a discussion table, the Ukraine war and Taiwan's communist neighbor, China. And a closer look at the UK's new prime minister, is he tied to the Chinese communist regime? Welcome to China in Focus, I'm Ellie Hart, in for Tiffany Meyer. The U.S. Justice Department is calling out China for bribing a U.S. government employee, but the attempt to steal secrets failed when the employee turned out to be a double agent. Now, U.S. prosecutors have charged two Chinese nationals with trying to obstruct the prosecution of a Chinese telecom company. It's reported to be Huawei. Here's more. U.S. prosecutors charged alleged Chinese spies with trying to obtain secret documents in what U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland on Monday said was one of three different schemes by Beijing meddling in U.S. affairs or targeting U.S. residents. The Justice Department will not tolerate attempts by any foreign power to undermine the rule of law upon which our democracy is based. We will continue to fiercely protect the rights guaranteed to everyone in our country, and we will defend the integrity of our institutions. Prosecutors charged Chinese nationals Go Chan-hee and Zen Wang with paying bribes to a U.S. agent they believed would provide them with intelligence related to the prosecution of a Chinese telecommunications company. To do that, it alleges they tried to recruit someone from a U.S. law enforcement agency who they thought would help them spy for China. But the recruit was working as a double agent for the United States under FBI supervision. While court documents did not name the company, a person familiar with the investigation said they were trying to interfere with the prosecution of Huawei. Huawei was indicted in 2018 for allegedly misleading HSBC and other banks about its business in Iran, which is subject to U.S. sanctions. In 2020, other charges were added to the case, including conspiring to steal trade secrets from six U.S. tech companies and helping Iran track protesters during anti-government demonstrations in 2009. The firm has pleaded not guilty. A spokesperson for Huawei could not be reached for comment on Monday. China's embassy did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Federal prosecutors announced charges in two other alleged schemes, including an effort to intimidate and harass a Chinese national into returning to China. As these cases demonstrate, the government of China sought to interfere with the rights and freedoms of individuals in the United States and to undermine our judicial system that protects those rights. They did not succeed. The DOJ has charged a total of 13 Chinese nationals in three related cases. In one of them, several Chinese intelligence officers were charged with trying to steal sensitive U.S. technology using an academic institute as cover. And in the other case, a group of seven nationals harassed and threatened a naturalized U.S. citizen for several years, eventually forcing her to return to China. Speaking of sending Chinese nationals or naturalized U.S. citizens back to China, according to Chinese media, between April 2021 and July 2022, more than 230,000 overseas nationals from different countries were forcibly returned to China. 
In recent years, the Chinese Communist Party has set up dozens of so-called police service stations in more than 20 countries. One of them is located right in the heart of New York City. It's inside the headquarters of the American Tangla Association. One reporter from NTD's Chinese language channel visited the building, carrying a hidden camera. Staff inside the association denied the police station's existence. Earlier this month, a group of lawmakers wrote to U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland and Secretary of State Antony Blinken. In the letter, they stated, there should be no room for the CCP to exercise law enforcement on U.S. soil. Over in Australia, another Chinese police service station has operated in Sydney for nearly four years. Chinese media have called it part of Beijing's Belt and Road Infrastructure Program. The initiative is known to help spread the CCP's influence across the globe. Now that Chinese leader Xi Jinping has secured his third term, activists are testing out new ways to protest. Some of them now hiding messages in public bathrooms. Here's a closer look. Graffiti with angry messages scribbled all over bathroom stalls might be a common sight in much of the world, but not in China. The Chinese character scrawled in this Beijing bathroom reads, anti-dictatorship, anti-COVID tests. Messages like this are spreading in bathrooms in several Chinese cities. It's because public restrooms are one of the only places in tightly surveilled China without security cameras. This graffiti says, remove dictator and national traitor, Xi Jinping, some of them even written in English. No to COVID test, yes to food, no to lockdown, yes to freedom, no to great leader, yes to vote, don't be a slave, be a citizen. Their messages copy the slogans written on two banners hung on a busy overpass in Beijing, a rare protest in the capital just days before the start of the Communist Party Congress. The banners cleaned up, then quickly censored from Chinese social media. But it didn't stop people from replicating the act around the world. The same slogans hung on London's Westminster Bridge and draped over the Chinese embassy in London. But inside China, public displays of dissent towards Xi are extremely rare. It can lead to long prison sentences or even worse. We spoke to one man who graffitied in a bathroom. We're shielding his identity because of fears of retribution. I had to wear a mask, and when I was writing, I was worried someone might catch me. We can only write slogans in places like bathrooms to express our political views. It's so pathetic we've been suppressed to this degree. In another Chinese city, a person wrote the same slogans with a picture of Winnie the Pooh in a crown. Cancelled. China has censored any images of the cartoon character being compared to Xi. It's unclear how widely held these views are in a police state. But frustrations in China over the country's zero-COVID measures are growing. Harsh lockdowns over a handful of COVID cases. Constant COVID testing. Mass quarantine facilities. The anti-Xi slogans are rapidly spreading from China to campuses in America and around the world. And in Paris, an outdoor play to parody Xi Jinping's rule. Xi dressed up in the emperor's clothes, then being dragged down by COVID enforcers. If we don't do anything, it means we are willing to be ruled by the CCP. When I saw the graffiti in that bathroom, I started crying. 
It shows that some of the Chinese people want democracy and freedom of speech and are willing to pay a price for it. Yet Xi's power is ironclad. The public's anger reduced to scribbles in bathroom stalls. And even those will be quickly painted over. A Ukrainian lawmaker is visiting Taiwan for the first time in 15 years. The nation also sent a thank you note to the island for its support of Ukraine during the Russian invasion. Here are the details. Ukrainian politician Kira Rudik visited Taiwan on Tuesday. She and a Lithuanian politician met with local legislators on the island. There, Rudik thanked Taiwan for its help during Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I'm so thankful for Taiwan's support. We know the support. We hear it, we see it, we feel it. She stressed that Ukraine would prevail, adding Ukrainian troops have been recovering territories occupied by Russia. Taiwan has strongly condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The Ukrainian conflict has focused new attention on if or when China might attack Taiwan. But the reappointment of China's communist leader Xi Jinping on Saturday has raised new tensions across the Taiwan Strait. The same day, Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen met with the six-member delegation from Germany. They discussed the threats Taiwan faces from its communist neighbor, China. The German delegation told a news conference on Tuesday that China's imperialism has to be stopped quickly. There is a danger that China will continue to annex other places if they succeed in annexing Taiwan. Hyde said China is showing imperialist ambitions similar to those of Europe during its 19th century colonial period. The visit comes after China's ruling Communist Party wrote its rejection of Taiwanese independence into its charter on Saturday. The CCP claims Taiwan is its own territory despite never ruling the island. And it has ramped up military and political pressure against the island in recent years. Taipei strongly rejects Taiwan's sovereignty claims and vows to defend its freedom and democracy. Tesla is slashing prices for its Model Y and Model 3 vehicles in China. The up to 9% price tag drop comes amid slowing demand in the country, as well as competition from Chinese electric car makers. The move was announced Monday and marks Tesla's first price cuts in China this year. Last week, Tesla CEO Elon Musk said there was a recession of sorts underway in China. He added that he expects Tesla to be recession resilient. Tesla shares closed 1.5% down on Monday. Rishi Sunak is the United Kingdom's next prime minister. He's now leader of the world's sixth largest economy. Investors are putting trust in Sunak, the former finance minister, but concerns are rising in another area, his stance toward China. NTD's Paul Greeny has more. The markets reacted positively to Sunak's ascension. Bond yields falling immediately. Investors perhaps trust Sunak, who does have many credentials in finance. He was formerly Britain's finance minister, and he worked at Goldman Sachs, as well as two hedge funds. But there are signs that prompt caution and concern. In particular, Sunak's family runs a firm that has ties to China. Sunak's father-in-law is the founder of Infosys. It's a massive international technology and consulting firm. Its market cap of over $70 billion. Infosys is a major presence in China. The CCP, Chinese Communist Party, even officially listed Infosys as one of the top 10 global service providers in China. But Sunak himself has made strong anti-Chinese Communist Party remarks. Three months ago, he said that, quote, 
China and the Chinese Communist Party represent the largest threat to Britain and the world's security and prosperity. He also said he would face down China. He even gave details on how. He said it helped businesses protect intellectual property and that he'd build a new international alliance of nations to defend against Chinese cyber attacks. Sunak also promised that he would close all of the UK's Confucius Institutes, 30 in total. Confucius Institutes are Chinese education programs created by the Chinese Communist Party. In fact, a former CCP official called them a, quote, important part of China's overseas propaganda setup. Sunak referred to them as a form of China's soft power. But despite Sunak's tough words, his stance has been only very, very recent. Before this, he was very soft on China, even to the point the CCP endorsed him during his running for prime minister back in July. CCP said that while most politicians took a hard stance on China, Sunak was pragmatic. And while UK politicians are generally hostile to China, Sunak previously said he's pursuing a complete sea change in relations. He wanted the two countries to strengthen their trading relationship and took concrete actions to do so. One sees these kinds of um, conversions in politicians frequently when they find it inexpedient to be holding views or taking policy positions or advocating courses of action that uh, were their true, you know, disposition and, and proclivities uh, until some elective office beckoned. And then they suddenly abandoned all of that and would have you believe that they are very differently minded. China said Tuesday it would continue its bilateral relations with the UK as Sunak prepares to take office. Relations between the two countries have worsened in the last decade. Britain has grown worried that Chinese investment could pose national security risk and that China's military and economic assertiveness may damage Britain's interest. What's the true state of China's economy? The Chinese Communist Party released new economic data on Monday. But Antonia Grasefo, China economic analyst, says China isn't telling the whole truth and that a dire economic situation in the country could lead to major changes. Let's dive in. And Antonio, where do you see all of this headed going forward? If China's GDP is growth is really that low, what's what's at, what's at stake? We're starting to see, we're beginning to see a slowdown of industrial activity, we're beginning to see a, a slowdown of, of consumption, of course. I mean, that's been ongoing. Uh, for the first time in a while, Brookings issued a paper where they said that China claimed that they had X amount of exports to the United States over the summer, but they've been counting containers and they said that they have not seen an appreciable increase in the number of containers. And Brookings is claiming there's not enough containers to justify the claims that China made. We failed to see that China's trying to help humanity. She said that again in his speech, this thing about China's there to you know save humanity. And you know, with that is, well, the US is um, you know, falsely leading people astray, making them believe China's their enemy when China's actually going to save them. So I think we're going to see a much more aggressive China after the, uh, the Congress is finished. Coming up, a look at how those issues will play out inside and outside China.
moving forward, I think you're going to see Europe and the U.S. consistently having China policies and economic policies that are, that are in tune with each other, and it's going to make it so much more powerful. Um, and that's going to be against Russia and China. More from Antonio Graceffo, China economic analyst, after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart. Eight trillion dollars, that's how much local debt China has piled up. But what does it mean for the country and its people? And with the CCP still placing blame on Washington, how likely is a Taiwan invasion? Here's more from China economic analyst Antonia Graceffo on what to expect. And Antonio, on that $8 trillion of local debt, what exactly does that mean and where do you see this going? Well, whenever you see in the news that the um, central government has has ordered uh, infrastructure development, oh, we're gonna, you know, they're gonna make a better China and all that. What that really is is central government orders local governments to take um, uh, infrastructure projects to build highways, build dams, roads, whatever it is. These projects are all picked by the central government, not the local government, and they order the local government to do it. And then the local government has to do it, whether they need that road or not, whether they need that highway or that dam or not. And 20 years ago, every time they ordered one of these things, they needed it. But now we're at a point that, you know, most of China is pretty well connected with roads and high-speed rails and things like this. So a lot of this building is just completely unnecessary. It's never going to generate the GDP growth uh, to cover the cost of building it. And the way the local governments fund these things is by issuing debt. So the central government will tell a particular province, you have to build a highway, and that highway costs whatever, billions of dollars. And the way they pay for it is that local government issues debt, they sell bonds, or they use what's called local government funding vehicles, which are uh, essentially corporations formed by the local government, owned by the local government, for the sole purpose of issuing bonds, which they then use to fund uh, real estate, uh, to fund uh, infrastructure projects. Normally, the way they repay these bonds is by selling land. The uh, local governments get a significant percentage of the total revenue comes from selling land. Well, the problem is land sales are down by 30%. And house sales, uh, real estate values are also down. So even if you're selling them, you're selling them for less money. And so it is unclear how these local governments are going to make good on these debts. Uh, it is speculated that the federal government, the central government, will step in. Private and public debt in China, it's about 270% of GDP. And so if the government or Chinese regime doesn't step in, who ends up paying for it? Does it end up on the regular Chinese people or what happens? Well, whoever's holding those bonds, if they default on the bonds, whoever's fall, uh, holding the bond is going to, to lose their money. So if you bought a, a bond and, and you paid, you know, $1,000 for it, and then you're waiting for maturity on the bond and, and you're going to collect some type of uh, a benefit, but uh, if that bond defaults, your money's just gone. So the money, um, the holders of bonds, some of them probably aren't private citizens. A lot of them are banks. So that's why this thing could wind up being even bigger than this $8 trillion, because banks buy government bonds and then they may use them as collateral for other investments. 
or for other lending that they're doing. And so if those bonds default, it could cause a chain of defaults because there would be other investments that are based on those bonds or using those bonds for collateral. We're already seeing that in the real estate industry. That's one of the reasons that the real estate industry is having so many problems is that um, a lot of the collateral that they used to, to obtain loans, that collateral has now dropped in value. So in other words, if, if you use your house for collateral and your house is worth $300,000 and you use that as collateral for a debt, and then your house drops in value to $250,000, well, now you don't have enough collateral to secure the loan. So the bank could call you and say, hey, listen, you got to deposit $50,000 cash in your account right now. And of course, multiply that by the size of one of these developers. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars sometimes, you know, billions even, and uh, they don't have the cash to do that. So this is this ripple effect that this this is why five trillion dollar negative on the books of the banks could wind up taking down the entire economy because it's actually much bigger than just that five trillion dollars. And given these like preparation steps that we're seeing, when can we expect a Taiwan invasion? That I don't know. I, I honestly believe they were gearing up for a Taiwan invasion after the invasion of Ukraine. Um, I think that was the original plan. And then the sanctions on Russia scared China. And then also Chinese economy is just so bad because you've just got so much debt. There's so much debt. And then on top of that, the yuan is is dropping. And meanwhile, you know, China's at an all-time low in terms of um, perception in the world. You know, most of the countries in the world absolutely don't trust China anymore. Um, even things like the space race, at one point it looked like China might be overtaking the U.S. in the space race. Now the U.S. has uh, developed their own capacity to launch uh, rockets into space. We've been using uh, Russian rockets to get into space to launch our, our hardware. Now we can do it ourselves. We're also doing that for other countries now. It's going to be another source of revenue for the U.S., another source of power for the U.S. The U.S. has put moratoriums on NASA working with China. I would imagine the European Space Agency will do the same thing. And so just moving forward, I just see more and more barriers being put between the U.S. and China. China will have less access to our uh, capital markets, less access to our technology. Europe is now following the U.S. much more closely than they did before the Ukraine invasion. So I just see this po polarization increasing where, you know, you have sort of the Western democracies on the same side as the U.S. doing the same policies that we are. And although China is kind of building a block on their side, it's a block of very dysfunctional, very poor countries that don't really have a lot of power or, or you know, can't help them very much. You know, uh, you know, maybe Bangladesh is going to go to the Chinese side, you know, and uh, North Korea, of course. Russia's, Russia's the one wild card. It's about the only really large country, significant country that would sort of be in the Chinese camp. India is a little bit of a little bit of a wild card because they absolutely hate China, but they're closer to Russia, you know. But as a rule, you know, moving forward, I think you're going to see Europe and the U.S. consistently having China policies and economic policies that are that are in tune with each other. And it's going to make it so much more powerful. Um, and that's going to be against Russia and China. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. Enjoy the rest of your week.